It's Monday, January 25th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. So, we are going to step back from the news of the day, and uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have six stock ideas in this show. And here's how this is going to be set up. Because I I recently came across a data point I found very interesting. This comes courtesy of our friend Morgan Housel. He wrote a piece recently and referenced the fact that the the personal savings rate in America spiked last year. And and that's something we've talked about on this show before. Um, But the data point kind of blew my mind. because, um, uh, And this comes from the, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis. And I knew that people, for one reason or another, were holding on to cash. I didn't, I didn't realize the extent to which that was happening. So, the, the Federal Reserve Bank in St. Louis, one of the things they track is the total amount that Americans collectively have in their checking accounts. It's not surprising that that amount has gone up. The degree to which it has gone up surprised me. As of the most recent quarter, there's just shy of $1.9 trillion collectively in American banking uh, checking accounts. Wow. A year earlier, that number was $800 billion. So, American households collectively have $1 trillion more in their checking accounts than they did a year before, which is crazy. (laughs) (laughs) So, that leads to this question. What's going to happen to that money when the majority of Americans have been vaccinated and weddings that have been delayed are no longer delayed and vacations that have been put on hold are no longer on hold? So, I thought it'd be interesting to take three buckets, one being travel, one being retail, and then the third essentially being dealer's choice. And let's just go through. We can each come to the table with a stock in each category that we think stands to benefit from discretionary income being unleashed. And let's start with travel. What do you got? Yeah, so I probably a lot of people think you're going to go with the usual suspects out there and booking.com or maybe Airbnb or something like that. And and those are all very good good ideas. Uh I I actually am going to take one that is a probably a little bit lesser known for for some folks out there, but Vale Resorts ticker is MTN. Um and as its name suggests, I mean, this is this is a company that's really focused on uh, skiing primarily, a winter activity. And so, Vail Resorts is actually uh, the company that that owns and runs all of these ski resorts, uh, primarily out west. I mean, think Breckenridge, Vail, Keystone, Park City. But in 2019, they also acquired uh, 17. East Coast ski areas owned by Peak Resorts, including Mount Snow and Hunter Mountain, um, and some resorts in New Hampshire, Pennsylvania, Ohio. So it really has has grown its its reach. So it's not just a it's not just a going out west story anymore. But I mean, as as you can imagine, I mean this this company has has felt a pinch here over the past. Uh, year due to COVID restrictions and and just the general uh, the general sentiment in travel, but I, I think it is a company that is poised to really bounce back here soon. And I mean, one of the main reasons why is 
skiing of course is not for everyone but but i mean it, it is for i mean the people who do it love it they're diehard uh about it and and they they tend to want to go to a lot of these places that vale resorts is operating and so if you just look at some of these numbers it's pretty it's pretty impressive to see their presence in the market there are approximately 770 ski areas in north america with uh 475 of those in the u.s and so, if you look at this past year versus the previous year, so a COVID-impaired year versus a non-COVID-impaired year, um, in, in the 2019-2020 North American ski season, uh, combined skier visits for all ski areas in North America were approximately 68.2 million, which was which was lower than historical levels. And, and compare that to the previous year, where that number was 79.7 million. Now, Vail Resorts, their North American resorts had 12.4 million skier visits during the 2019-20 ski season. That represented 18.2% of all North American skier visits. So this is this is a this is a company with a tremendous amount of market share and expertise in what they do. And and another neat thing is that it's not just winter sports anymore. I mean, they have summer seasons at a lot of these places that they're able to to offer things like fishing and mountain biking, horseback riding, and whatnot. And and so, kind of like we talked about before with Disney uh, and Disney World, the parks and, and stuff like that. There's some operating leverage here they can realize once they get traffic back to normal levels. You have a lot of fixed costs that are involved with keeping those places open. So the more traffic they can bring in, you start to recognize a lot more profitability on just incremental bumps in revenue and uh and then they, they have some pricing power they're able to push through increases in those lift passes and, and tickets and whatnot so it's just it's a company with a lot going for it understandable that it's it's witnessing a tough time right now but but uh, tremendous brand awareness uh, tremendous portfolio properties and, and i think a wonderful long-term investment and there's only so much new competition coming down the pike. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's like, you, you, you know, there are any number of businesses you and I could start if we wanted to. Uh, this is one of those businesses where you need a mountain. Oh, well, I mean, it's specifically, I mean, you really actually need a mountain. It, it is, it is, they have a tremendous competitive uh, position in the market there. And yeah, like you said, the barriers to entry are just really high. They, they've just got so much of that hard work already done and out of the way. I'm going to go with one that um, is pretty high on my watch list, uh, and you've already mentioned it. It's Airbnb, and I yeah. know they've been public for about an hour and a half, and I know the market <laughs> cap is already over a hundred billion dollars. I I just don't, I just don't see the the trend uh, that Airbnb has helped push forward going away, and. For all the times we've talked about hotels, and it's not to say that you know a business like Marriott can't succeed, um, hotels have two at least two challenges that Airbnb does not have. One is the pricing model for hotels really needs to get worked out because the the value yeah. proposition just isn't as clear as it is for Airbnb. And I believe business travel is coming back. I just think it's coming back slowly and not to the same level that it did pre-pandemic. Um, and the other is advertising. The degree to which Airbnb saves money by not having to advertise, just you know, just the word of mouth. They're already the verb. People yeah. just go to Airbnb.com now. And so, uh, again, uh, it's it's high on my watch list. And and once. Once I stop talking about it and trading restrictions uh, loosen up uh, for me personally, I, I'm probably going to pull the trigger on that. Uh, in terms of retail, uh, 
it's such a broad category. You, there are so many directions you could go in. We've already seen uh, the the gains that major retailers like Walmart and Target uh, have made. Um, where are you going in the category of retail? Yeah, this was an interesting one to think about because, on the one hand, you want to look at maybe some down and out retailers that are poised to snap back after all of this. Maybe traffic picks up and people are more willing to go out to places than, than we are today. Um, on the other hand, kind of like looking at these companies that are that are really dictating this this new retail paradigm, so to speak. And so for me, it, it, it kind of came down to let, let's let's water our flowers here, right? And pull the weeds. Let's let's focus on the companies that are winning, that are continuing to change this re- retail landscape. And one of the obvious winners to me is Etsy, uh, ticker is E-T-S-Y, and it's it's obviously it's had a, a wonderful past 12 months. I mean, the stock is up something like 300 plus percent, um, and, and it's understandable why. I mean, this, as we've seen uh, with retail, the big focus, I mean, clearly, e-commerce is is one part of it. Omnichannel is another, and I think a lot of companies that rely on that physical presence are doing a, a, a bang-up job with, with really that omnichannel um, strategy. Etsy doesn't really have to worry about that. I mean, this is really, at the end of the day, it's a network, right? And, and the neat thing, it's a, it's a two-sided network. It connects buyers and sellers, and they monetize both sides of that network. And if you look at just some of the numbers that they've recorded here recently, I mean, it's just been a tremendous year. If we look at the this most recent quarter, the third quarter earnings that came out uh, shortly ago, they grossed merchandise sales of $2.63 billion through their network, which resulted in revenue of $451 million. They have 3.7 million sellers. That was 2.6 million a year ago. They have 69.6 million buyers. That was 44.8 million a year ago. Uh, but but really, what was telling in the call? CEO Josh Silverman has been re- he's got this company really playing some offense right now. Where a lot of companies are are. They're a little bit defensive right now. Etsy is taking the other side of the coin there. Um, he calls this the perfect time to invest in marketing. <clears throat> and if you look at some of the numbers here. In regard to their marketing spend, he's 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 not that's not lip service. I mean, in the quarter, consolidated marketing spend of one hundred twenty-seven million dollars was up one hundred and fifty-three percent from a year ago. So they clearly see this as a time to grow the network, to create that brand awareness, and bring more traffic uh, to their network, both on the buyer and the seller side. And with things like Etsy payments and Etsy ads, there are just so many ways this company can win. And I, I think it's going to keep on winning even long after all of this is said and done. And I, I'm a shareholder myself. Uh, Love, love owning these shares, have no intention of doing anything other than just watching them occupy, hopefully, a larger, a larger space in my portfolio as time goes on. And that's another business that you know, part of it for Etsy comes from events like weddings or you yeah. know, bachelor, bachelorette parties, that sort of thing. Uh, those personalized group gifts that had to have been scaled back in 2020 and uh, that's you know one section of Etsy's business that's probably poised to bounce back even bigger um, for me it's Lowe's and we yeah. talk about Home Depot and Lowe's all the time in part because they typically report earnings one right after the other and even though Lowe's has had a better run as a stock over the past, uh, certainly the last nine months or so, maybe even a little bit more than that, uh, 
you look at Lowe's from a market cap standpoint, it's less than half the size of Home Depot. And I think that combined with Marvin Ellison's leadership, that's that's why, to me, I think Lowe's is in a really good spot over the next few years. Yeah. Because Ellison has, you know, he gets all that experience at Home Depot. He gets tapped to run JCPenney. And I think he made some good moves at JCPenney. He ultimately left because he wasn't moving the stock price. And he, he strikes me as one of those CEOs who is conscious of the stock price and his <laughs> responsibility as a leader to move it higher, but he's not obsessed with it. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I, you know, I think those two, th- plus home improvement, I just, you know, I, every now and then I think back to something that uh, the home inspector, uh, told me when, um, and this is back in the late '90s when we were buying uh, the home that we we have lived in ever since. And I was going; he's inspecting the house, and I spent a few hours walking around with him. And he was very nice and indulged all my questions. And when he was done, I said, uh, "He said, do you have any questions for me?" I said, "Well, this is my first house I've ever bought. Do you, you know, do you have any advice for me?" And he said, "It never ends." <laughs> and I said, "Amen to that." <laughs> I said. What never ends? Yeah. He said, there's always something that breaks that you need to fix. And when everything is fixed, you look around and there's something you want to change. Mm-hmm. So you're either fixing something or you're changing something. But it never ends. And the two businesses that benefit from it never ending, Home Depot and Lowe's. Truer words have never been spoken. I mean, that... that I, I I am very happily uh, I'm very happy to be a homeowner, but but that's that's absolutely right. It, it, there's always something to fix, and then when you've got a lull, oh hey, you know what? We should replace the deck, or hey, how about some new gutters? You know, it just what about some new windows? There's always something. How long have the walls been that color? Should we should we change <laughs> yeah. that up? Uh, last category, uh, I just put it as a wild card. Figure you you can go in any direction you want. Uh, anything. Where consumer spending shows up, what do you got? Yeah, well, so I, I was actually thinking about going with something like Square here, just because this idea that that people are going to be back out spending more, and, and I mean, Square is just a company that uh, is, is is participating in that, right? Flowing so many dollars through that network. But I'm not going to go with Square. Actually, today I am going to go with Chewy, and the ticker C H W Y. And every everybody that listens to this show, you guys all know I'm a big animal fan. We have three dogs. <laughs> we have a horse now. I mean, it just talk about stuff that never ends. I mean, I can't imagine what we're going to get next. But but for me, and, and and as a happy, chewy customer, it really does feel like these guys are establishing themselves as the name in pet care. They're going to they're gonna do more than $7 billion in sales for 2020. And if you're viewing this as just some company that ships you your dog food, I, I just think you're looking at it the wrong way. You're not thinking big picture enough. And if you just look at some of the, the overall market data, I mean, it's estimated 78 million dogs, 85.8 million cats are owned in the United States, approximately 44% of all households in the US have a dog, 35% have a cat. And and you've seen all over uh, all over the news here of the last year. The data is clear. Shelters all around the country are reporting an overwhelming number of adoptions. So it's really, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. A lot of pets that need homes have been finding homes. And and the neat thing about 
having a pet, I mean, other than just the unconditional love, it, it's something that really does require a commitment. It's ongoing in nature. Um, and it makes me kind of think of that <laughs> razor and blade business model that we talk about so often. The dog is the razor, and then you got to keep on buying the blades in the form of food and chew toys and whatever else. Um, and, and so, Chewy really is establishing itself as, as I think, the name of the space there. It's, it's worth knowing um, that Argos Holdings owns a bit more than 80% of the company that's essentially uh, PetSmart. So, it has a tiny float, only about 19% of the shares outstanding float. Uh, and, and that means that sometimes you could be, uh, you could see some demand there. I mean, the, the bid-ask spread could, could be a little wacky sometimes, but the stock has done tremendously since IPOing. And, and again, looking at some of these numbers that they just chalked up, if you look at the most recent quarter they reported in December, uh, third quarter net sales up 45%. From a year ago, auto ship net sales representing 69.2% now of total net sales. Uh, they added 1.2 million active customers in the quarter, ending the quarter with 17.8 million active customers now. Uh, it, you see that net sales per active customer, that number continues to go up incrementally. A gross margin, which is a number to pay attention to with these types of retailers, uh, in, incrementally uh, improving here as, as they continue to grow their service, their, their offerings. And, and when I talk about offerings, I mean, again, this isn't just a shipping you your dog food company. I mean, they have relationships with veterinarians, uh, veterinary services, and uh, pet hotel offerings. They've launched a virtual vet care offering, what I like to call Teladog. I'm giving you this, guys. Use it, Teladog. I mean, it's a winner. You know it is, except for maybe the cat people might not like it since it's so dog-centric, but still, it works. Um, but I, yeah, I, I just to me it feels like this is a company that is poised for a lot of success. It is, it's getting towards that pro that profitability that that uh, that we're looking for, and and I think that um, the sky's the limit given the market opportunity with a company like this. And if it, if it's too risky for you, Chris, hey, why don't you couple that pet smart? Why don't you couple that Chewy with Zoetis? You know, Zoetis is the, the company that, that develops and manufactures and commercial, commercializes all the animal health medicine and the vaccines and diagnostic products that we're buying for those pets. So, uh, you know, hey, listen, you, you can have your cake and eat it too there. So to speak. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm just going to throw DraftKings out there, which is, oh, yeah. is not as high on my watch list as Airbnb, but it absolutely is on my watch list. I, and again, this is a stock up about 235% over the past year, so it, it's had a tremendous run. But it's hard for me to imagine the run doesn't continue. Again, this is happening against the backdrop of sports being either cut back dramatically uh, or um, just you know, gone altogether in the case of a lot of college sports. Um, I think that combined with states like New York looking at sports betting and saying, yeah, this is something we think we want to get involved in as well. Again, the, the, the trend lines to me are positive enough that it outweighs the sense of, you know, the, the very understandable and human investor sense of ah but look at the run it's had you know i i I, <laughs> yeah. I feel that as much as anyone i you sure. know i totally get it when people email us and say i'm thinking about this stuff but i mean it's up so much in the past year it's like yeah no i'm, I'm right there with you but i think the trend lines for sports betting uh, I, I just don't see them reversing 
I, I agree with you totally. I think that we're, we're just going to see it become more and more mainstream. I think there are a lot of tremendous offerings out there that let folks uh, have fun and put a, put a little money down on, on a game. And I mean, it's, it, it's entertainment really for a lot of folks. I mean, myself included. I mean, it, it can just make a ho-hum game where you don't really have a vested interest. It can make it more fun. It can make it more entertaining. And um, it, yeah, as the legal barriers continue to come down, I mean, I think these companies are going to take advantage. And I think mean, we're already seeing it happen. I do not see, as they say, that toothpaste going back in the tube. Jason Moser, always good talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.